you're listening to the You Can't Fix What You Can't See podcast, hosted by author and consultant Karen Cornwell. Here we share real success stories from companies striving to become more gender savvy to drive innovation, growth, and engagement for all. All right, it's a new day and new information. I am here with Chuck Hayes. He's from Sage Glass, St. Gobain. He's the vice president of everything else. And Chuck, today we decided that we really wanted to talk about women's networks. And I think you've had some really interesting experiences with that. And so I thought our listeners would really like to hear about what you learned in the process of starting women's networks at your company. Yeah, it's great to be here again, Karen. Thanks for having me back. And yeah, I have a, a story to share about starting a, a women's ERG or women's network at Sage. And and the reason I want to share this is, for me, it was a lesson in, in a dumb tax, in doing something the wrong way and having to back up, learn from it, and then do the, uh, do the launch uh, in a better way. I wish this kind of thing was available five, six years ago, and I could have avoided some of that dump tax, but, but I want to share it so that others can learn from it, and hopefully, you know, others share, and I, I can continue to learn from them, but early on in our process, trying to really develop a, a truly gender-diverse STEM business, one of the things I identified that would be really helpful to the women at the professional women at SAGE, but also helpful to us as a business would be to start a women's network. And it was a great idea and the motives were right and there were women's networks elsewhere in Sankabam that we could kind of uh, uh, get some structure from. But we really desired a community that would support professional women and, and help them grow and help us help them grow. So when I say the motives were right, that was good. And then, and then I, use the term vibrant and I need I, I desire to have a really vibrant women's network to help me to help us as leaders accelerate our learning in how we could be more effective in building an ex- inclusive culture. So you know I thought, oh this this will be great. It'll go. So we gra- gathered together a group of, of, of strong female leaders. Both Alan, our CEO, and myself signed on as champions for this. I mean, it was, it was just going to be a great thing. We gave this group of women who are going to lead the network the authority. We gave them the autonomy to, to shape it, mold it any way they saw it necessary, and, and we launched them. I thought, this is going to be great. Well, at their very first meeting, they exercised their autonomy, and they shut down the women's network. And really? I was, ab- yeah, I was, I was absolutely stunned. I remember my, my HR manager calling me uh, because she was at the meeting and she said they actually decided not to go forward with the women's network. And as you can imagine, after I got over my instant frustration, what, what are they doing? I organized a listening session and I went and I just, you know, asked a few broad questions and I just listened. And what I heard, I didn't like hearing, but I had to take to heart um, because what I discovered was the problem, the core of the problem was actually in how I approach setting up the network. 
we had, and, and what I heard, the, the first thing I said was focusing just on women puts too much spotlight on women. They desire to see a broader context of diversity develop that women could operate under. And they were concerned about a couple things. First of all, that it was potentially sending a message that women need help. And in that it would be seen as devaluing. And it might even be seen that rather than being valued for who they are as professionals, they were in fear that having this organized activity would turn them into just a, a diversity statistic. And so there's great fear that the process would be devaluing rather than empowering and valuing. And as I probed on that, I, you know, I, I realized I had to own the fact that I had, number one, I'd, I'd moved too fast. I'm, I'm a very independent sort of operator, and I was trying to create a very, very much a community environment, and I'd simply moved too fast. And I had spelt out the, the business case for diversity, but I was too quick about it. I didn't let them interact with that, understand it, and own it to the point where they weren't fearful that it was just, in, uh, just another diversity exercise to check the box and say, gee, we were, we were doing it. And then ultimately, although I could probably pull them and say, do you as an individual trust me? And they would say, yes. In this situation, I had not adequately built a foundation of trust with them in this effort. And so they had aspects they were uncomfortable with. And I gave them the authority and they exercised their authority. And in effect, they said, yeah, not right now. We're not ready for this. That's so that really, was, that is really fascinating, Chuck. You must have been stunned. I mean, because you're doing, you're doing this for them, right? And then all of a sudden they're yeah. like, uh, no, thanks. Well, it's funny, uh, you know, and we all like to hide our true emotions. I was number one stunned, but I, I was a little angry too, right? I'm like, oh, come on, folks. This is hard. I need your help. What are you doing this for? So I really had to work to stow that and say, you know what? I need to understand this. I need to go listen. But, but it was good. And, and I learned a lot and, and I can employ that. And, and today we do have a functioning and vibrant women's network at Sage. But it was another two years before it launched. And it was another year. It was a year after that before we even started. But when we restarted, the approach is very different. You would use the term community. I would use the term organic, right? But I wanted it to be more grassroots. I wanted it to come out of out of their needs and what they saw. I I wanted to take a lot more time. I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with with leaders, and some of them were the same leaders who who had voted to stop it. But a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations about the business case, and then morphed it a little as business needs came up, where I saw a women's network could really help us with. I would socialize that, and I wouldn't push it though. I I just in conversation say, how could you help us? What are your thoughts? And and I let it ferment, if you will, a little bit more organically, and then and let it evolve with a few gentle nudges. But once it was ready to go, it went, and it 
it has been the second time around a really good experience. And you know, let me let me give you an example. As as we got the network going again, it was at a time when uh, our parent company, Sankaban in North America, was looking at establishing a parental leave policy. And this is something that we didn't have in place, but it was it was coming, but it had been coming slowly. And and we had leadership in place at a national level that it was, it was finally getting a hearing. And so I then took that to our network and said, right, here's what's going on. Here's what's at stake. We could really improve our benefits to help professional women, and by the way, professional men too, with school-age children or who are starting families with this sort of a, a benefit enhancement. So let me ask you as a network, what resources do you have? What studies do you have? What do you know about this? This is not something I've studied as an individual extensively, but the information you have could help the overall effort. And it was amazing. I didn't just get some really good stuff. I got buried. I got deluged in studies, in information, in, uh, in good resources. And I, I got so much information, I actually couldn't process it all. So at one point, I just kept, I, I just started pushing it all through uh, to my colleagues at the North American headquarters. And the Sage Women's Network actually, late stage process provided a lot of valuable input and reference, and they did influence ultimately what the policy was in the end, which today remains one of the best parental leave policies available in corporate America in the U.S. So it's a really cool example. And ultimately, Karen, I got to the kind of resource that I, as a leader, leader needed from, from a women's network. So a lot of dumb tacks along the way, but we got them. And if that experience can help somebody else out, so be it. Oh, Chuck, that's that's really a great story. I'd actually like to dive into a couple of little pieces that you mentioned because I think they're fascinating. So sure. you got the network started the first time, kind of kicking it off, and then the women said, "No, we're not comfortable. Right? This is this is not this is maybe not what we wanted to do, and we don't understand necessarily the business case on on why is this important for the company." And I've I think I've seen this a lot. Um, in the executive ranks as well, is people are generating programs and the need for programs, but other people are not looking at why do we need this? And so when the programs are presented to them, they're like, I'm not sure why we'd want to move forward because they haven't done their homework, right? They haven't, let's delve into the issues and look. And if I look at you know, why has diversity and inclusion not taken off in corporate America? I think there's a big finger point that we can do there to say people have to do their homework. They really have to understand why they're doing it and what benefits they're getting. And I wanted yeah. to see how, how, how does that match your experience? No, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, it, when we bring up the diversity topic, there's a lot of things mandated. They're mandated by law. They're mandated by corporate policy. And, and, and we kind of get a little jaded with all the mandates because we all know just mandating something 
doesn't, it certainly doesn't create excellence. It, it forces people to do something. Well, if you're forced to do something you don't want to do, you know, how good is the outcome going to be? You know, at best, it's going to meet the, the stated requirements, but, but never close to the intent. You know, when we get in areas like diversity where there's, there's, there's a lot of difference of opinion, and even more than that, there's a lack of understanding. People bring a lot of their life experience, a lot of their conscious and unconscious bias into it. And with that, they bring in all their fears as well. And, and so it, it becomes just a confusing mashup. And it, I, I wish you could say, here's the formula, just do these four steps and implement it. But you can't, you can't go beyond mandate and doing rote tasks so you can check the box. You have got to do the journey. You've got to have the conversation. You've got to give it time for people to build trust and actually bring out what their real fear is. And that's where I failed in that, is I didn't give it enough time for it to percolate. We had talked all the topics, but, but the real fear that we're afraid this is actually gonna just put the spotlight on us as needing help and devalue us as professionals. And I wanted to look him in the eye and say, do you really think I believe that? But it wasn't about me. It was about their place in, as professionals in the organization. So I was doing a ton of learning. And in reality, they were doing a ton of learning too. And we just needed to give it a little more time. And you know, Karen, along those lines, it, it, it just struck me, but you know, in, in the, la the last time we talked, I shared a story of, uh, of watching one of our leaders, Carline, uh, approach um, the, the, the learning we were going to do from the coronavirus. She approached that in a very different way than I would have, um, because she's very much community-minded. I'm, I'm uh, I, you know, and I'm the opposite of her there. You know, you, you sent me a note and said, hey, you, you may want to warn Caroline that, that you used her name in, in, in this podcast. And I did that. And I told Caroline the story of what that I had observed her approach to getting learning and forming a team and taking time and probing deeper, how much I just sat back and watched it because it was so different from how I would have approached it. And my goal in telling her that was just to inform her, her name was going to show up on a podcast, but I got the most fascinating response from her. She said, and this is coming from her standpoint, I had no idea, Chuck, that my approach to this problem or this issue was at all different from how you would approach it. And, and we had a marvelous conversation just this morning on that. And it, and it goes to this. There is so much we don't know about each other in the workplace. And from a gender standpoint, how men approach things, it's remarkable how different it is from how a lot of women would approach it. And, and there's just so much to learn, and you can't shortcut that. You've got to take the time to learn so that you can grow together. And I think that's of vital importance that people understand that. I know this is probably going to sound like heresy, but sometimes I think the fact that we have appointed diversity and inclusion people, you know, you are responsible for this, has taken the heat off the executive team 
to say, I, I, that's not my job, that's their job, right? And I think that may be one of the reasons we're moving so slow now because it, you really have to take ownership of that. And, and you have to walk the journey. Like you said, you know, yeah. I was, I started this thing at the best of intentions and the, you know, the, the women, I didn't let them sink into it. I didn't let them, you know, evaluate the business case and understand everything they could about it before we launched. And, you know, they shut it down and says, you know, we, we don't, we don't want a spotlight on us. It says we need help. Right. We don't, that's yeah. not, that's, you know, that's, that's not the position we want to be seen in. So it can make a huge difference. And some of that stuff can be pretty subtle. You don't yeah. always pick well, up can on that. Be. And, you know, I'll, I'll just thought of uh, another example, but it's, it's, it's another dumb tax. And, and as a man, being part of a group is, is part of the strength. But a woman's journey is often, is often different from that. Early in my career, I had a sales job. I was doing a, a selling heating air conditioning controls, very exciting uh, product, I'll have you know. But I was doing a contractor, a heating air conditioning contractor training, and the training got oversubscribed. So I asked a colleague of mine, another salesperson, to, to come and join me and just help, and gave her a section of the, the training to do, and, and that was great. But in introducing her, I, I introduced her as a colleague of mine, and then I said, and Mary Kay comes in, is in a family of people with a company. I actually worked with her father in the factories some years ago. And she, she was walking up front, and she literally stopped, and I had a glare that would have killed me. <laughs> and I thought, I, you know, I, I had no idea what I had just done to her. In my mind, I, I had I had given her equivalent status that she's she's a full standing member of the company, and what she heard in, in her experience was that no, you just told people I have a job because my father's in the company. You have been devalued. I had no idea that that thought had never crossed my mind, but. That's just another example of the dumb tax we all pay because we we naturally assume everybody's experience is the same as ours, and it's not. That is a great. I mean, that's a great example of you know one person going, I I I did it to boost you up, and the other person going, Why did you just crush me? <laughs> Why couldn't yeah. you let me just stand <laughs> on my own feet? And it, I think, unfortunately maybe because we're mostly polite people, I think it happens a lot. And if people would actually speak up and say something, I mean, you got the glare, right? So you knew something was wrong. But a lot of times yeah. we don't go back and we check and go, what, what was it about that? And hear that backstory so that we get the learning so that we don't, you know, we think about it before we say something, right? And, and how would yeah. people interpret this? How could it go wrong, right? Yeah. And, you know, we all, at times, we all pick up some visual or verbal cues that, that are kind of, there's a little dissonance there. And I would really encourage listeners, especially in the area of, of gender diversity, pay attention to that. Because often there is something else going on. And there is a side conversation you need to have. And, and be ready to learn something. 
be ready to have your perspective, your, your horizons broadened a little bit. And in fact, you might find a situation where you do need to offer an apology, a level of understanding, um, because we don't have similar experiences. Our, our biases are different. Our, our life experiences are different. And the journey for me as a man in the working world is different from yours as a professional woman here in the working world. And it's just not always apparent. And that conversation, pulling those nuances out, will just help people do a better job of this. You know, Chuck, I totally agree. And that's part of why I think it's so important to open these conversations up because typically these are not the conversations that you have at work. You know, you might get the glare, but few people go back and say, I saw that look you gave me and I thought you were pretty unhappy with me. Could you tell me what went through your head so I get it? And people don't, yeah. that's like a piece to say, I don't want to open that box because who knows yeah. what's in it. But we really need to well, start opening those boxes and saying, okay, let's look at this and see what it is. Because a lot of times it is harmless, right? Yeah, it's usually harmless. And, and you, know, you know, life deals us all uh, lots of blows to our own ego, right? So I, I get where people come from sometimes that say, you know, I really don't want to open up yet another box. But there's a point, there's something to be gained by gaining that knowledge. And, and we have to just be brave, you know, put on our armor and, and go say, hey, you got really quiet there. You know, because often you don't get the look. You get things like silence. You get, you get a passive disengagement. Uh, it's pretty rare these days that people fly off the handle, at least where I work. So it's not so much overt. You have to be willing to go there. But in doing that, there's there's usually some nuggets of gold. You can learn something about yourself, or you can learn something that helps you be more effective in your own professional career. So really encourage people to take that risk, because there's some really good stuff that can come. It's worth it to open that door then for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, Don't always like what I hear, but, but it's worth opening the door. It, that's, that's real life, though, right? It, it's, not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not always beautiful. It doesn't always come out that way. <laughs> so what are the things that your women's group is up to these days? What kinds of things are they doing? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing we're all doing is dodging the coronavirus, but uh, yes. it hasn't <laughs> been disruptive, right? You know, our, our women's network is, is, they're involved in a lot of different aspects of the business. Right now, you know, I, I told you the story about uh, really helping out in a material way with putting um, a parental leave policy in place, which is actually, it's been beneficial to guys as much as it's been beneficial to gals. So, um, so Chuck, I'm going to have to interrupt now and say, yeah. so I had to get on Glassdoor because, you know, I'm just a nosy kind of person, right? And <laughs> there is a raving positive review about the parental leave policy from a new father there. And um, it, it appears that he went through a, a rather hard time with the whole birth process. It, you know, it's like everything went wrong, right? <laughs> you know, everything went yeah. sideways. Yeah. and. And he really held this up as a shining light that 
that allowed him to keep his sanity while he's trying to, you know, help and protect his family. And, you know, things are happening that are way beyond his control. You know, the birth process is what it is, right? And he was absolutely and totally delighted with it, which was really nice to see, to hear a man saying, I needed all this time. My wife was in dire straits and I had to do what I had to do. And this policy allowed me not to worry about, you know, the work aspect until things got under control at home. So, you know, what, what you're doing apparently is really working. So I, I applaud you for that. Yeah, no, thank you. It, I, and I actually, I, I personally respond to all of our uh, team member reviews on Glassdoor. I did notice that, and I thought that was unique, right? That you actually get on there, and every single comment somebody's put in, you have you have added your own uh, comments onto that, and it's very and it's all very positive. Yeah, yeah, and and even when their review isn't positive, you know that's. That's a source of, of feedback that, that you've got to hear. But, you know, when I was, when I read that review on Glassdoor, I, you know, and I felt good about that, but I actually thought back to in the day when my wife and I were having kids and my kids are all grown now and, and I have three uh, professional women out in the workplace myself and my family now. But, um, you know, back in the day, our first pregnancy was very difficult. My wife was in the hospital a few extra days. And then when the, uh, our baby came home, my, my oldest daughter, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough pregnancy. It was a tough delivery and it was a couple of days. And, and I was just reflecting back on how things have changed because, you know, I picked up the phone. It was pre-internet day. And I talked to my boss, who was a man. And he said, you know, Chuck, you know, life gives you some difficulties. You need to take a day or two and just help your wife get set up and, and get established at home. So I, I was met with grace. There was no policy. There was no benefit. But my boss said, you need to take a day or two to just get get right again. And so I was home. And that afternoon, my wife's boss called. And it was a woman. And she said, well, all I want to know is, is she going to be back to work tomorrow? And that was back in the in the uh, in the mid '80s, and but that was what life was like back then. No one had a parental leave policy, and we were all more or less, you know, the grace I got from my boss was rare. We were all told to suck it up, and when can you get back to work? And so I was just reflecting on on how things have improved and changed. And it would have been marvelous to have that as a resource uh, back then. But it's not just a resource for women. And in reality, it's also not just a benefit for men. It's a benefit for families. And there's a payoff to the business, too, because here's an individual who took the time he needed to take and, and, and his wife, she needed to take. And they could get their collective life back in order and straightened out so that he could come back in the workplace ready to rejoin and ready to contribute again. And, and we get lost in the, in the rhetoric of, of, well, who's going to pay for this and, and, and lose a big picture of we really want our people set up to succeed. And this is a major life event. It's beneficial in helping them be prepared to come back in and re-engage well in the workplace. 
I mean, this is very true. And, you know, Chuck, it extends to taking care of other family members, right? I've, I've uh, taken care of my mother and taken care of my father, right? In their old age before they passed. And it's a tremendous responsibility. And it's not fun because you're usually dealing with degeneration, if you will, and, and, you know, the loss of capabilities and taking over people's finances. And, and so it's very traumatic for the person who's going through it. And, you know, you have to deal with all these really fun institutions that are not maybe set up to, to help. They haven't, they haven't set their systems up to make them fluid and it can be very, very painful. And when you're in that kind of a mental condition, you're not going to work at a hundred percent right? Your, no. your brain no. is not fully there until you get these things straightened out. And, and it takes a while sometimes, right? I mean, these, yeah. these things can take, you know, six months, a year. If somebody's got a critical condition, it can be years that you've got employees that are trying to help parents, that are trying to raise kids, that are, you know, that are trying to do all this. And, and when it's not going well, they're not all there, and sometimes it is better to say, look, take the time that you need, get things straightened out to where, you know, it looks like they'll be smooth going for a little while. And then, you know, we'll see what happens because I think people yeah. really need that kind of take care of your family life. And, you know, then you can come back to work when your brain is set. And I think we really need that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, I mean, there's a wide variety of life programs. I mean, you know, we, we all will, uh, or most of us, confronted with uh, uh, with that aging parent scenario, and who is ready for their first child if you're if you're starting a family, and you know, and major illness is another. Uh, but there's a lot of these life events, and putting the things in place, and learning what people need to allow them to to make that journey well, and come back whole. That's just part of what we need to put in place as a society for everyone to be able to thrive and function better. Yes. And it's, it's, I think some of them are, are overdue, but I'm also seeing companies put in many of these policies now, which I, I think are helping people to keep their lives in order, all right, so they can, they can keep moving forward. But it's an adjustment, yeah. cert- certainly an adjustment for everyone. Yeah. Truly is, yes. All right, this is awesome, Chuck. I didn't know if you wanted to talk any more about the things that your women's group is up to and the things that they're doing and or helping the business with. Yeah, you know, there's um, any number of things, but one of, in a very practical way, we, we've asked our women's network to be very active in our, our talent sourcing and recruitment activities. And this is when you build the trust, you build the, the, the focus, the safe focus on diversity, it really allows people to, to contribute in a variety of ways. And so this is a very practical way, but we desire as a STEM business to continue becoming more and more gender diverse as, as we continue to grow and expand. And who better to help us find female talent as well as male, male talent is our, our women, our professional women. And so when we have postings, especially 
technical postings. We engage our women's network in helping us source talent working their networks. Early on, the, uh, I said, right, I'll, I'll pay for every woman's membership into SWEET, the Society for Women in Engineering. And in addition to that, we will make the time available for you to go to the events. Uh, in effect, on the clock. And it's not that the fee for joining is all that expensive, but saying, right, I'll pay, that shows a level of commitment. But but allowing them the time to go and interact is investing in their professional development in a way that I, as, as a uh, business leader, don't necessarily control all. But so it's an investment we've made in them, but they've broadened their networks, they've, they've broadened their horizons. And it, in effect, by doing that simple task, I've activated all of their networks. So I now have a talent sourcing network that I never had before. And one of the big challenges every company has when they post a job and they want to look at female candidates, who are most of the candidates? The majority of the candidates tend to be male. And so it becomes an issue of how do we source more female candidates? And we've actually done a number of things. But in making that investment in SWEET, I didn't realize it at the time, but I created a, a recruiting and a talent sourcing network business. So, so that's another example of what they're doing for us. It's, it's paying dividends that I didn't expect to get when I started on this journey, and it's just plain. Well, you know, that is really phenomenal that you've mentioned that. And I think your women continue to tell the world. Uh, I was talking to Namrata about email and weekends. And yeah. she says, I don't do email on weekends. And I said, well, there's a lot of people in Silicon Valley that would think you're crazy. Do you really not do, I mean, seriously, do you really not do email on weekends? She says, you know, occasionally Sunday night, but most of the time I don't do it till Monday morning because you, if it's really important, somebody will call me. But this is the time for me to be with my family. And I'm, you know, when I'm traveling a lot, it's really important that when I'm with my family, I'm actually with them and spending time with them. And she says, I told my friends this, you know, I'm on Facebook. And I said, yeah, no, I don't do work email on the weekends. And of course, all of them, many from Silicon Valley said, no, that's not possible. You know, you're lying. You, you couldn't not be doing it. You know? <laughs> she said, no, really. I, she's got no whole debate about this. No, really. I don't, I don't do that. And they said, no, that's that. Can we work where you work? I'd like yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I I think you've you've got that recruiting flag out there really well with what with the chit chat that goes on with these women. So I think that's really admirable. Yeah. yeah, and I also think you know people get hung up in the look at all the things Chuck that that you're doing for women. You know why aren't you doing those for men? And and it's a great question, a great point of engagement. But, but men already have all those opportunities. The workplace was designed for men by men, and it works well for men's schedules. But as as you go into it, you know, as as we start to to reach equality in more areas of life, don't men need that margin too? Don't they need some email free time to engage with the kids 
yes. or work on the chores in the house or everything else. It's really creating the margin. Now, you know, Namrata, she does rarely answer an email on the weekend, but she'll always answer the phone. But she's created a point of margin so that she can have excellence in the different areas of her life. I take a break from my work engagement on the weekend, but I'll I'll sometimes set up an hour here or there where it's like right Saturday. I'm, I've got some more things I need to attend to. I'm going to take care of that. But it's part of building a culture that allows people to be their authentic selves and to be excellent in all of the areas of their life, not just as a professional. There's way too many people who get to the end of their career and there's some total of their life is just their career. And I argue they probably weren't as effective in the workplace as they could have been had they been a more rounded individual. I don't worry about what we get out of Nemrata or Chuck or Alan or anyone else. Uh, we really challenge people to, to, to carve out that time balance in their life. And I truly believe we get more contribution uh, out of everyone. I think it's really important, particularly for, for professionals, to let them pick and choose and figure out how it works into their life because different people at different stages, it, you know, it, it, it works dramatically differently, right? So, and no, you let them manage it and I think you get a lot more out of it and you get people that are really engaged, right? They're really engaged at home. They're really engaged at work and not trying to do both at the same time, which is where it gets really hard. Yeah, and how easily we forget. I just had two granddaughters stay with us over uh, the last weekend, and they went home Sunday night, and I looked at my wife, Jenny, and I said, how did we ever get anything done when we had young children at home? We forget this, but we have, we have great colleagues who are juggling this every day. And, you know, in the coronavirus pandemic, they're all trying to figure out how, how school's going to work. This, this, in this very fall. And so it's different for everybody. To the extent we can become better listeners and, and creative in allowing people to find their space and be able to engage in the best way possible for them, who they are, it's just going to benefit business all the more. And I'm hoping that part of what we're doing is spreading the word that this, this it really makes a huge difference to people. And it is funny how oh, you, know, it, you it raise. Does. It's funny how you raise children, and then you know you have grandchildren come back, and you go, "How did we do this?" <laughs> it's very true. I think I think <laughs> any parent will agree with you there to go. I, what were we thinking? <laughs> so yeah. it is. Yeah. It is a yeah, lot of work. Everybody has that moment. And I think we've seen in work-related meetings and things, you know, there's a lot of Zoom meetings going on. And, and, and there are a lot of small children popping up behind their parents' heads, right? Looking at the screen because, because it's, it's, it's novel and different. And I think people have been very accommodating because, because we have to be, right? Because they're at home and yeah. that's what we're doing. Yeah. I, I know my kids are starting online school on Monday. And, and you know, they're, as teenagers, you know, they're just thrilled with that, right? So. <laughs> Um, we're, yes, uh, it's an adjustment and and we'll figure out how we can have you know five zoom calls here <laughs> do we have enough bandwidth mm -hmm. we'll see <laughs> yeah yeah no i've actually enjoyed watching all the little little faces show up or the pets or 
or whatnot. It's actually added a, you know, when you think about a business environment can get very corporate gray and austere. So I've actually enjoyed seeing all the, all the little faces pop up and pop up behind things. Some of the, yeah, yeah, or flop in mom's lap while we're having a, a Zoom meeting. So it's all good. It's, uh, it's kind of fun. Excellent. Well, Chuck, I really appreciate you coming back and talking about your journey of, of trying to set up a women's group and then getting it actually set up on the second go round because not all of this always goes right the first time. And I think the important thing is the things that you pointed out to, to listen to what people are saying and make adjustments and recognize, you know, you're recognizing that the women needed to fully understand the business value of what the women's network could bring to the company and how they were a part of that. And if you tried to push that, they got uncomfortable and said no. And so this is, this is one where, you know, oftentimes it, it is better to hand it to them and say, how do you want to do this? How would you guys like to set this up so that it really works for you? And so that's, I think, a very valuable lesson um, and like you said, maybe it'll help other people avoid paying that dumb tax because I mean, I have a saying and it's, you know, I don't have to make all the mistakes myself, right? I can let other people make some <laughs> yeah. and, and learn, right? Without having direct pain because it does make life a lot yeah. that way. Yeah. And, you know, if, if, if that story helps someone avoid learning that the hard way, that's great. And and hopefully uh, you can surface other stories and, and I can continue to learn from that. I think it's been uh, absolutely I've enjoyed chatting with you again today. And, and I look forward to uh, continuing to learn as you surface more of these uh, success stories and, and painful stories of, of things people learn along their journey. But I've really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you very much, Chuck. All right. Take care, Karen. Bye now. All right. You've just listened to the You Can't Fix What You Can't See podcast with host and author Karen Cornwell. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and peers. If you know of a company doing amazing things to become more gender savvy, please drop us a line at the website youcan'tfixwhatyoucan'tsee.com. We are on the lookout for success stories to share with our listeners so their companies can become gender savvy.